So good afternoon, Covenant Church. Uh, there's a handful number of people scattered around, so it feels full. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, I'm glad that we can have uh, maximum 19 uh, people in the sanctuary under this uh, highest COVID-19 stage, stage four. Uh, recent uh, court decision uh, uh, kept the government uh, from stopping uh, church worship completely. So uh, we can have, uh, under these circumstances, maximum 19 people, and hopefully the situation will become better uh, soon. Anyways, uh, our text for today, uh, both uh, those are here and those are at home, uh, is coming from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. So, uh, would you all stand for the reading of God's word? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Now, in a great house, there are, on, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, name, on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we have gathered uh, to worship you here and also at homes. And Lord, I pray that uh, you will speak your truth into our hearts that there should be order and peace and zeal and sense of direction and desire to live as saints, to serve as your people, to hope for the return of Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will use this word to speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the passage for today, if, uh, as, as, you, as you read, uh, read uh, it's not so difficult to understand its meaning, uh, but it could be difficult and challenging to, to bear its requirements. We Christians claim that we believe in so many wonderful blessings from God, such as His grace, love, forgiveness, unconditional acceptance, and so forth. And this may be, these are all true. However, I often wonder, even about myself, if we truly believed in these wonderful things, if I truly believe in these wonderful blessings from God, then how can I and how can we be so prone to laziness and selfishness? If we tru truly believe in these wonderful blessings from God, the natural response should be, we all should desire to serve Him. We all should desire to work for Him. But the truth of the matter is that there are many Christians who are not very useful to God and for His church. Now, unconditional acceptance of God does not give us a, give us a license to live in whatever, whatever way we want to live. 
So the passage for today, together with some parables of Christ Jesus, such as the parable of the, of the talents, point out the reality that there are those who are useful to God in the church, and then there are those who are useless to Him. Of course, there are some, of, there are some uh, who are even harmful to the church, such as false teachers. Now, there's a story. A man used to visit a tiny general store in the country, and the proprietor has a clerk named Jake, who seemed to be the laziest person in the world. One day, the man noticed that Jake was gone, so he asked the proprietor, where's Jake? Oh, he retired, was the answer. Retired? Then what are you going to do to fill his vacancy? The owner replied, Jake didn't leave no vacancy. And that leads me to ask, what kind of vacancy would there be in this church if you left? It is God's clear intention that every one of his people be used in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given gifts to each one to be used as good stewards. Now, salvation, even though salvation is by the sheer grace of God, we're saved for good works, not for vacations. The Word of God makes a clear distinction between those who are useful to God and His church and those that are not. In verse 20, it says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Now, a great house in, in this uh, context refers to the house of the great God, namely the church. And the vessels of gold and silver are the ones that are precious and useful in God's house. Therefore, they are regarded as great assets in the church. On the other hand, the vessels of wood and clay are the ones that are not very useful or even useless or even harmful in the house, in, in God's house. Now, the distinction between these two is made not on the basis of the greatness of the work, but on the basis of the faithfulness of the one who works. In, in, in many places in the Bible, for instance, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul gives an explanation as to how the church members should function as the body that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one is more important than another. Everyone is given an equal position, regardless of how great or small it seems to be on the outside. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So there is no one, no part of the body less important. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As he chose. You see, it does not really matter what you do. What matters is that you serve and do your part faithfully in the body of Jesus Christ, named the church. Jesus never, if you read through the Gospels, he never demanded the greatness of our service. Oh, he's, he has great uh, uh, position. He doesn't, he never talks about that. However, he demands our faithfulness 
and diligence in our service for him and for his church. However, one of the biggest problems among the Christians these days is the lack of earnest desire to be used by God for the sake of his church. For instance, in Korea, up until a few decades ago in, in the Korean church, in general, I'm talking about in general, there were many who wanted to serve in the church, who wanted to commit themselves to the service and sacrificial service, often, of, for the Lord in the church. And many believers considered it as an honor to do certain duties in the church. For instance, uh, I remember this uh, when the, the choir in my church back home a uh, long time ago, 20, 30 years ago, when they were, you know, uh, recruiting uh, new members, there were so many candidates. So I was, you know, on the waiting list. There were many people who wanted to serve as Sunday school teachers, and they had no trouble recruiting Sunday school teachers. However, it is so difficult for many churches these days to find enough workers to fill the necessary positions in the church. In the old days, for instance, it was a great honor for the Christian family to, de to dedicate their sons to the ministry of the gospel and then their daughters to be pastor's wives. The pastors, I mean, ministerial candidates had no trouble finding wives in the church. But these days, it's very difficult because... Uh, being a pastor's wife is not a very popular thing anymore in the church. So I suggest that you find your wife before you go to seminary. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying that all Christians should go to seminary. Uh, it seems like that's the thing that's going on in the Covenant Church, though. But not everybody should go to seminary. The point I'm trying to make here is this, is that there is certain, certainly a significant lack of zeal and commitment to the service in the church. And why? And what went wrong? You know, something has changed in the last uh, few decades or more so. When I was in the States attending seminary uh, in 2003 uh, through 2008 for five years, there was a concern in the American churches that a large number of their members were turning from servants to spectators. We talked about it a lot. And these spectators, or even consumers, they came to church to watch and consume worship services, musicians playing and singing gospel songs, and preachers preaching the word, not primarily to correct or to reprove or to train them, but to make them feel good about themselves. They want to hear that it is okay, you know, it is okay, everything's fine. Just relax, lean on God, you know. I mean, this... It's not totally wrong, but half-truth is not truth. And these people regarded offerings as payments for those services and entertainment in the church. So I pay money, that's it, you know. I consume worship services. I hear preaching. I pay you, do your job. And many church people expected their pastors and paid staff at the church to do the most work and they wanted to remain as spectators and consumers. I'm not talking about covenant church, okay? Uh, churches in general. I mean, here, I am so thankful that we have so many, you know, members who work, uh, serve so faithfully. So don't get me wrong. But that's not the word of God teaches. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it says in verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
Now, what is the uh, commonality between all these titles? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. They're ministers. They're full-time ministers. Their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh, the body of Christ means the church, the real church. Their job is to equip. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it is the saints who are to do the work of ministry. Not the paid staff or full-time ministers. So on top of this spectator mentality and attitude among some Christians, there's another big reason why they avoid serving in the church. It is because of the culture, the, the popular culture that is composed of both pragmatism and selfishness. I don't know how you put it together. Selfish pragmatism. Sounds okay. Selfish pragmatism is a big characteristic of people today. Traditional virtues like sacrifice, service, commitment are so foreign to them. You know, uh, I don't know about in the States, but in Korea, at least you know, in, in 1970s and 80s, you know, the college students were, they were committed to like, you know, uh, the 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 you know, social agenda or common cause you know uh, bringing justice you know into society or you know uh, bringing uh, fairness in, in in the society but not anymore it's all about me my success my dream my comfort and my plan and people were more loyal to you know their bosses you know their their commitment was what level was high but not anymore. It's all about what can I get out of this. So this kind of culture uh, has definitely infiltrated into the church. So the bottom line is this. Many people in the church are thinking this way. Why serve in the church when I don't get paid? I don't want to invest my precious time and energy for the life of the church when there is no compensation for my service and work. I'm talking about churches in general. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Of course, God does not force people to serve him. He does not force us to serve him. Yet, he deserves our service and love because he came to serve and save us. If we truly understand God's grace, his salvation, his forgiveness, his promise, his wonderful blessings, how can we not want to serve him? And he deserves our service. Therefore, it ought to be a natural desire for the Christian to want to serve God and his church. And to be able to serve God Almighty is an honor before it is a duty. It's an honor. Calling is an honor. So, uh, when I think about, you know, what Christians, what we, what we do, what I do in the church, it's an honor. Sacrificial honor sometimes. And when it comes to an honorary, honorable uh, duty or position, there are certain requirements and qualifications, of course, you know. When you hire people as an employer, uh, you don't hire just 
anybody from the street. You hire someone qualified. You do not want anyone or everyone to be in, the, in an honorable position. In the same way, not everyone can serve God in the, in the church. Although everyone, every believer is required to serve, not everyone can serve. Because God uses those who are prepared. He uses vessels of gold and silver for honorable purposes. So we should prepare ourselves for God's honorable use. That's what's going on from verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for, from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use. Not automatically. If, if anyone wishes to serve God, to be used by God, to be useful to him and to his church, he should cleanse himself and prepare himself for honorable use, set apart as holy, set apart from where? From the world, useful to the master of the house, to the Lord, ready for every good work. We should make ourselves ready for the good work that God has uh, prepared for us. Now, the, the, the question is this, how can we make ourselves clean? How can you and I cleanse me and you? How can anyone cleanse himself? How does it work? Now, we cannot clean ourselves with our own hands. We as sinners have dirty hands. So we cannot clean ourselves, cleanse ourselves. Jesus displayed what it means to be cleansed in John chapter 13 when he washed the feet of his disciple. So I know preachers usually, you know, uh, quote or use uh, no more than a few verses as a reference in the sermon, but let me read uh, about uh, seven, eight verses from John chapter 13 because there's no better sermon than the word of God itself. Jesus, it is, you, know, you already know the story, so just listen. Jesus, knowing that the Father has, had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you, wash, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with, with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Now, here Jesus point out, pointing out two things. Number one, he has completely cleansed us positionally. We're clean. We're righteous before God because of the work of Christ Jesus. You know, it is talking about, it's talking about not, you know, a lot of times in Korea, uh, in some churches, you know, they have this kind of ceremony, you know, feet washing ceremony, you know, showing that this is, you know, teaching humility or service. No, 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 don't get this wrong. It is about forgiveness, washing away of sins. 
It is about sanctification. So the fact that we have already made it means that we, are, we're, we're, we have been made righteous before God by the work of Christ Jesus. And, but we need to, in our experience, you know, every day we need to cleanse ourselves. You know, uh, not, we cannot cleanse ourselves. We have to let Jesus cleanse us every day. Now, what does that mean specifically? The ones that are ready for honorable use by God are the ones that are, that are cleansed and sanctified. In other words, sanctified by what? By Jesus and his word. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Remember his priestly prayer in John chapter 13, 17? Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So how can we... How can we be cleansed? Sanctify them with truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Now, I don't think you take shower uh, once, a, once a week, probably in the summertime, probably once a day. You know, uh, Paul's looking at me. Maybe you're taking a shower once a week. I hope not. But once a day, right? You know, um, if you don't take shower, uh, in a month or in a week, you will stink. You will have terrible smell. Now, spiritually speaking, how often should we, you know, take spiritual shower, a cleansing? As a matter of fact, when you think about this. We get dirty so easily and so quickly, you know, because the world is full of dirty people and dirty things, including ourselves. The world is full of sin, full of contamination. And the thing is that our souls are wrapped within the sinful flesh. So dirtiness is everywhere. Sin is everywhere. So we get we get dirty so quickly and so easily. As a matter of fact, in, in our experience, there is, there is not, a, not a single moment we're completely clean. There's nothing clean in, our, in, in this whole world. I have been a Christian for more than 30 years and been, been a pastor for over 10 years, and I still feel dirty about myself so often. I know that I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm declared righteous before God, before God in my position by having faith in Jesus Christ. However, in my experience, I feel dirty so often. So, what should we do? Paul suggests several things to Timothy to cleanse himself, starting from verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So let us look at one by one. First, flee youthful passions. Now, what do you think about this when you hear the word, this, this expression, youthful passions? We usually associate the term with sexual, sexual temptations. But the word translated passions may refer to any desires, although it usually refers to sinful desires. So while sexual temptation may be included in youthful passions, it's probably not the primary focus. Rather, 
Paul was probably referring to wrong desires, the younger men are more prone to than older men are. I would say the word, the expression useful passions refer to worldly desires, fleshly desires, passions for money, power, immoral sexual pleasures, useful passions. Just because you're older doesn't mean that you're exempt, you're free from these passions. Every day we struggle with these youthful passions. We want things of the world so desperately that we get dirty in our spiritual experience. Not only we do not want to serve God, but also we cannot. Because when we desire the things of the world, strongly, there is no desire to want to serve God. We may appear to be serving God. You know, as a pastor, you know, I can be a hypocrite. This is my, this is my job, to be standing and preaching and doing the ministry. But it is a, it is, it is a heart issue. Lord knows my heart. I may appear to be serving God, but maybe not. I hope I'm serving God. Second, Paul says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, fleeing and pursuing are opposite. It is not enough just to, just to flee from sin. Also, we must pursue godly character qualities. The word pursue is the same word that is elsewhere translated persecute. It means to go after it with a vengeance. Run hard after, those, after these four aspects of godliness. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, How do we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace? You can talk about this for a long time. But simply put, by hearing the word of God and by obeying them, and by knowing Jesus our Lord and by imitating him, one of the biggest problems for Christians these days is that we're losing the desire to see and pursue things that are not visible. Because people only want to care about what is visible and tangible. That is the mentality of the people in the world, especially young people, right? You know, uh, whenever I have a chance to uh, talk with uh, young people, uh, not believers, you know, I don't know how they can live like that, you know. It surprised me that they don't, they don't care about 
the life after death. They don't, care. they don't even think about death. They're atheists, right? Atheists. They don't believe in, in the existence of God. And they don't care about life after death. And they don't, they don't care. They don't care. They care about things that are visible and tangible. You know? They only care about money and pleasure and, and, and small toys. I don't know how people can live like that without finding true meaning of life. It's just so, I'm, I'm not trying to put them down, but it's so animalistic. We humans need to find meanings in, in life. I think somehow, in some way, we are, we're just, we're just trained to become more like animals because of all this you know, technology or, or you know, all these modern devices. Something's happening. People don't care about things invisible, like love, you know. I think the notion of love has changed a lot. I, I don't have time to talk about that. Loyalty, something so foreign to them. Commitment, come on. You know? it's, just, it's just all about what I can get out and what I, how I can use and make me happy. The culture today denies moral virtues. It denies the importance of internal character traits or a person's underlying values and beliefs, just such as devotion, sacrifice, or loyalty. Sacrifice. Why? Why should I? But the problem is, that this worldly culture tends to shape the way we Christians think and live. The present world is full of atheists and those who, whose minds are obsessed with the visible things of the world. Same things happening to us. Christians are God worshipers. So our life is, is worshiping of God. You know, we wake up, we worship God, you know, during the daytime, like Daniel, you know, we worship God, we converse with God, you know, we thank him, we praise him, we ask questions to him, we 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 give our burdens to God, you know, it's just that's that's who we are. But a lot of Christians live as functional atheists to me. They go to church, but during the weekdays, they're just atheists. Because they, they follow after youthful passions. Their minds are filled with the things of the world. There's no room for God. We often feel torn between the fleshly desires that seek the visible things and the spiritual demand to pursue things that are not visible, such as righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, how, 
How can we pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace without making conscious efforts to seek the things that are not visible by spending time in the Word and prayer? And when we do not, when we do not seek these invisible spiritual virtues, there is no way we could make ourselves available to God's use, let alone being useful to Him. And thirdly, Paul says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It is in the community of believers in the church we find our place to serve. Spectators are the ones that, that come to, you know, watch and consume. And they're, you know, after game is over, they're ready to check out, you know. There's no, there's no relationship. We must spend some quality times with fellow believers who call on the Lord from a pure heart or heart, a heart that is not defiled by youthful passions. You know, we influence each other. We influence each other. Uh, iron sharpens iron. I know that it is so difficult for us to have meaningful fellowship with our fellow believers these days because of, because of this unusual uh, situation, uh, COVID-19. So I hope and pray that we could freely worship and fellowship soon. But think about these things. Lastly, uh, Paul charges Timothy in verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. He's saying primarily not to argue with false teachers, you know, not to argue with uh, cult people or with foolish people. Or if you, this is a, there's a danger. If someone just acquire knowledge and without serving, and they tend to argue. They tend to show off what they know and tend to argue with others. They're not useful. They know so much, but they're not useful. They're harmful even. In conclusion, as I prepare uh, this work on this sermon, I pictured myself standing before the Lord. It's good to, to be old. You know, to get older, because you 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 more you tend to more and more tend to picture yourself standing before God, because the time of your departure is, is coming near. And I wish I could started it earlier, but uh, standing before the Lord, not on top of the world, that's what we what we usually picture. You know, picture ourselves on top of the world, but picture yourself standing before the Lord. It is not a wild guest. It is not a wild guess. It is something that will surely happen, right? If we truly what we believe, we'll stand before the Lord. Now imagine that, I imagine this. If he asks us, you and me, what have you done with the life that I have given you? And what would you say? What have you done with the life that I have given you? If the Lord said, asked you, what would you say? What have you done in response to my love and grace for you? What have you done for me with your life? Now, what would you say? The last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. The last chapter, chapter 22, the last verse says, Come, Lord Jesus. Now, when I think about this, standing before the Lord, 
I don't think I can say with confidence, come Lord Jesus. I mean, as a believer, yes, that's the best thing that can ever happen in my life because I'll be in glory in heaven with him. But when I think about the question that I'll be asked when I stand before the Lord, I am not ready to face him. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for my, my eternal life and salvation, eternal life in heaven, and there's no doubt about that. However, I am not ready to meet him because I have done so little for him. I have not been faithful. I, know how many, I, I don't know how many years I have left ahead of me, but I'd like to prepare myself to give an account to the Lord when he asked me, what have you done for me? These are the things that we should think seriously about our lives because time goes by every day, you know, time goes by. What are we pursuing in our lives? Well, the reality is that whether you pursue the things of the world, like for instance, you know, if you pursue your career or money or success, I don't think it'll change whether you make them as your idols or um, make God as your God, you know, and put everything else as secondary. I don't think the result, the outcome will change, but the condition of your heart will change significantly. I am not saying this to discourage anyone, although it should be good for us to be sad and heartbroken for the right reasons. There's always, you know, have you noticed that there's always, you know, special blessing when your heart is broken before God. It just relieves you and, and puts you in perspective. Like I said, I can become a hypocrite because I'm a pastor, but Lord knows my heart. He knows my life. I am not ready. But if you feel the same way I feel, there's an encouragement. Let us cling to Jesus all the more, even more. And let us hold on to his word of promise once again. Jesus invites you and me to come to him if we wish to be used for him and his church. Again, I'm going to read more than several verses in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. See, that's his desire. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It is the word. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in the vine. You are the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As a Christian, sometimes, you know, I smell uh, some, some dirtiness in me and I try to cleanse it, you know, in some way, in one way or another, only to fail. As a matter of fact, I don't even have to worry about that as long as I go to God and abide in his word. That problem is taken care of automatically when I have communion with God. Thankfully, in the course of preparing this sermon, I was able to give my heart back to the Lord. That happens often, you know, sometimes without even noticing my heart is not with him. And that it really helped me to see, hey, what am I living for? I want to serve God. I want to live for him. Yesterday, I'm going to close with my uh, small story. My son, I think he loves me. He said, he, he told me, Dad, why don't you retire? I'm, I was preparing my sermon, and all of a sudden, he, out, of no, out, of, out of nowhere, he, said, he told me, why don't you retire when you're 65? And I asked him, why? Suppose that you live up, on, up till 100 years, yeah, thinking that, you know, I, you know, I mean, he loves me, I think. You know, he wants me to live until 100 years old. But anyways, you will have 35 years of you know, retirement and enjoy you know, traveling. And I told him back, Sam, I'm not tired of because of ministry. I'm tired of because of you, <laughs> jokingly. And I said, I cannot retire. I mean, I may retire from my ministry position, you know, as I get older, but I cannot retire until I die. You know, I may go to Africa to teach Bible or to countryside in Korea to, to help the church with no pastor. I'm, I will do something as long as I, I have the strength to do something because I cannot retire. You know, uh, when you, there's, you know, uh, in, in the text for today, you know, talking about vessels, you know, like dishes and, you know, plates. About three years ago when we were moving, uh, Hannah and I, we found some dishes uh, just, you know, uh, stacked uh, in, the, in the shelf, you know, uh, the kitchen shelf. Never been used. We did not even know that they were there. They were there. It was brand new one, expensive one. We wanted to keep, it, keep them for a special occasion, but they were there, never been used. A lot of Christians have that mentality. I am saved. I'm going to have as comfortable life as possible until I show up to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here. That's funny. That's funny. That's a big crime. 
We're all getting old. You don't look, the, I mean, you will not look the same in 10 years, and I don't look the same in 10 years either. We're all going to die. As long as we have this life, we will, we should want to serve him in one way or another. It doesn't have to be like great work, but something that you can faithfully serve, some channel, some tangible avenue through which you can serve God. I was, before I, uh, when I was a lay person, before I went to seminary, I was serving, I was, you know, in, in the choir, you know, Sunday school teacher, you know, Bible study uh, teacher, and I, I've done several things, but the greatest joy I ever had when I was a lay person, I volunteered myself to clean the toilet of the church. Now, here, this toilet, uh, the management takes care of it, so don't clean the toilet here. But the, the church that I was attending, small church, the toilet was at the entrance, and then it stinked. It smelled bad. So I volunteered myself to clean the toilet. The pastor was surprised. But it was an answer to my prayer. I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, how can I be used for this church? It was a, it was a new church to me. And it, I don't know, somehow on Sunday, the smell got my attention, and then the dirtiness in the toilet got my attention. So to me, like, it was an answer to my prayer. So I volunteered myself to clean the toilet. Man, I had, the, I had the, one of the greatest joy. So joyful. I mean, I, I clean the toilet usually Friday or Saturday before Sunday, you know. Uh, I, you know I, I've done everything I could, you know. It was just so much joy. You see, those prayers God surely answered. You know, some people say, I pray for this, God never answered. He answered. His answer was definitely no, you know. But those prayers are usually 100% answered. You pray to God, God, what do you want me to do? As a matter of fact, between the service, between Korean service and English service, I prayed and God showed me one area that I could serve Him. Pray to God that He wants to use you, not abuse you, but He wants to use you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, his words that show us and reveal uh, the, the areas that, that we need to change. Lord, there are times that we want to live sort of heroic Christian life, but God does not want us to live heroic Christian life he wants us to live a faithful Christian life. Lord, in what areas, in what ways, as our Lord, should you wish to use us? Let us humbly seek that and ask our Lord how we can serve him, we can serve you. And let us be prepared not going after the, the idols in this world, but to you, Lord. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Lord, bless our brothers and sisters at Covenant Church 
that we may serve you in one way or another, that we may find our, our, our place in this church to serve, to love, so that you may be glorified through our fruits, that we may be able to show our small token of appreciation to all that you have given to us. We have received so much, and we want to serve you with what you have given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.